Welcome to The Trip Lab, kitchen table conversations about integrative medicine and psychedelics. I'm your host and resident physician, Dr. Mariella Wood. This episode is going to be a little primer on adaptogenics and nootropics. So you may have heard these terms thrown around with different supplement companies and new products, most often found in posh grocery stores. I live in Chicago, and you can't walk into a Foxtrot market without seeing a new adaptogenic sparkling water or botanical elixir that is supposed to provide you with just subtle mental boosts without that high or buzz or jitteriness of other substances. My personal favorite is Kin Euphorics. So they have created a non-alcoholic, adaptogenic, and botanical elixir that is meant to take the place of a hard liquor like gin or bourbon. These elixirs come in beautifully packaged bottles and sit right next to high-end gins and other alcohols. On their website, you can actually find recipes for all these classic cocktails that use gin instead of an alcoholic liqueur. So they created it to sort of replace the liquor, but you can still use it to create your own mixed drinks and have a little fun. They actually do claim to provide a buzz just by use of their botanicals and nootropics, which we'll get into, essentially stimulating the mind for conversation and social interaction, much like how an alcoholic cocktail can do for some people. And I have to say, I've tried it and I do see what they're talking about. The buzz you get is not exactly like the buzz from alcohol, but it's pretty interesting and one that feels a little bit more stimulating and conducive to enriching conversations. So what exactly are adaptogens? What are nootropics? And what can they do for you? And what does the data actually show? So that's what we're going to be digging into a little bit in this episode. But first, the latest in integrative and psychedelic medicine news. So I do apologize that I forgot this during my last episode. I was just so excited about having my first guest that it totally slipped my mind. But now we're back. So what has been happening? Well, the United States is slowly making moves to legalize psilocybin. So to back it up a little bit, more and more states are voting to decriminalize psilocybin. Currently, Denver, Colorado, Oakland and Santa Cruz, California, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and Somerville, Cambridge, and Northampton, Massachusetts have all successfully decriminalized psilocybin. This means that it's no longer illegal to possess or use psilocybin. That doesn't mean that you can legally sell it per se, but it's no longer illegal to possess and use. In addition, D.C. has reduced their penalties for the use of psychedelics, and back in 2020, Oregon actually became the first official state to legalize psilocybin-assisted therapy. This is separate from the clinical trials that you can do in many different states. So as I kind of touched on in my psilocybin and LSD episode, you can enroll in clinical trials in pretty much any state in the United States, but this is separate from just psilocybin-assisted therapy that prescribers can do with you without needing it to be in a study. So even though in 2020, Oregon made psilocybin-assisted therapy legal, there's hoops to jump through. You have to be certified and licensed to actually do this. But just recently, the Oregon Psilocybin Services announced that they will finally be accepting applications for licensure to actually allow these practitioners to do this therapy. And this could come as early as January 2nd, 2023. 
So, slowly but surely, we're making headway. Now, let's get on to the episode for the day, all about adaptogenics and nootropics. Adaptogenics, also known as adaptogens, are a class of botanicals that are used to improve resiliency to stress. And when I say stress, that can mean a stressor that can be any physical, chemical, biological, or mental, psychological stressor. And I use the term botanicals as an overarching term because they aren't just herbs, which you classically think of as a botanical. There are herbs like holy basil, but there's also mushrooms like reishi and cordyceps and other foods like garlic and ginger that all have adaptogenic properties. Nootropics, on the other hand, are any substance that influences cognitive ability in a positive way. So this is a more broad category and can include a variety of dietary supplements, synthetic compounds, and even prescription drugs as well. So you can think of nootropics as altering the mind, as we said, influencing cognitive ability in a positive way, but without causing an altered state of consciousness, like alcohol or psychedelics. An example of a nootropic that you definitely have heard of is caffeine. And maybe some of you have also heard of GABA or L-theanine. If not, don't worry, we'll get to those later in this episode. Examples of prescription nootropics would be stimulants like Adderall for treating ADHD or Donepezol for treating Alzheimer's. So again, substances that have a positive effect on the mind, but don't necessarily cause an altered state of consciousness like alcohol or psychedelics. So, adaptogenics and nootropics are often lumped together when you see these fancy sparkling waters or supplements, but like I just said, they work in different ways. So we're going to separate them for a moment and talk about adaptogenics first, and then we'll get back into nootropics after that. To understand how adaptogenics work to help us adapt to stress, we first need to understand the stress response in our body. And this all happens within the HPA axis which stands for the hypothalamic-pituitary-adrenal axis. Those of you in medicine who did not go on to become endocrinologists probably hear this term and get severe PTSD, thinking back to step one studying and memorizing all of the different components that go into that. So I'm not, I'm not going to do that for you guys, thank God. But let's review it simply and briefly without getting bogged down in all of those little details because how it works is actually very important to understanding how adaptogenics work. So, as you might expect, the HPA axis is all about the relationship and interaction between those three organs in the name. So that's the hypothalamus, which is located in your brain, the pituitary gland, which is also located in your brain, and the adrenal glands, which are endocrine or hormonal glands that sit on top of your kidneys. When something stressful happens, and that can either be psychologically or physically, the hypothalamus releases a hormone that causes the anterior pituitary to release a hormone that eventually causes the adrenal glands to release cortisol. I'm not going to list all of the names and go into the different cascades, but just remember the end result is the release of cortisol. Then, when cortisol is released... It causes a number of changes in your body to react to the stress to get yourself away from that stressful situation. 
So this is a little bit tricky because thousands of years ago, a stressful situation is totally different than a stressful situation today. So thousands of years ago, a stressful situation would be something like encountering a lion that might eat you. While as today, a stressful situation might be studying hard enough to get to that grade so you can become the kind of doctor that you want to be, or the stress of balancing your career with your children and other relationships. So it's a little bit tricky, but all in all, the stress response is actually the same. So again, you get a stressor, all those things happen in the HPA axis, and cortisol gets released. So what does cortisol do? Well, to start, it increases your blood pressure and cardiac output in order to provide your muscles with more blood that essentially helps you get away from that stressor per se. It also causes the release of glucose to fuel those muscles. It puts digestion and libido on hold because it's not really a good time to take a poop or have sex when you're actively trying to get away from a stressful stimuli. It also suppresses the immune system Again, your body prioritizing something that could kill you right now versus something like a virus that would kill you in a few weeks. It causes a lot of other things too, but those are some of the big key players. So this release of cortisol can be beneficial. It helps you respond to the stressful situations and was designed to help you out in those moments. Then eventually you get away from the stressor and your body returns to normal. But what happens when that stressor is psychological? and you never shut off your stress response to that stressful stimuli for, let's say, weeks or months, when that happens, and that's what our current day and age is experiencing, a multitude of things that happen that make us sick. So think back to all of those actions that I told you that cortisol does. So when cortisol is chronically activated, as you might expect, you get chronically elevated blood pressure, chronic constipation, weight gain, inability to sleep, and decreased libido. Then, after that chronic stimulation of your cortisol, your body actually begins to change, and it upregulates and downregulates various different receptors and hormones to adapt to this chronic change, but not adapt in a good way. You get chronic fatigue, you can't lose weight, your memory declines, and your cognitive function declines. So... <laughs> That sounds like everyone in America, right? And to top it off, you want to know what else triggers this stress response other than the psychological stress from our jobs and just life in general? Processed foods, excessive sugar intake, and excessive alcohol intake. So all of those little things that Americans do to combat stress or what's just part of the American lifestyle is actually putting more stress on the body over time and exacerbating an already fatigued system. Quick side note, additionally to the HPA access and cortisol that we just talked about, we also get chronic misregulation of our autonomic nervous system. So this is the sympathetic versus parasympathetic response that you might have heard of. So with sympathetic being your fight or flight response, with epinephrine being released, while parasympathetic is your rest and digest response, allowing you to recover. So this is more the neurological side of things rather than the endocrine side of things, which is important, 
but we're going to mainly focus on the HPA axis today because that's where the adaptogenics work. We'll save the sympathetic and parasympathetic responses for a whole nother episode. So with all that being said, what is our solution? Is it to cut out all the stressors? Actually, no. That would also be harmful. The scales would turn in the opposite direction and downregulate and upregulate receptors and molecules, making it so that you can't respond to stress, ultimately also leading to weight gain and a variety of other things. So we don't want to be in a state of chronic stress. We also don't want to be in a state of chronic relaxation. Our bodies are meant to be dynamic. Life is meant to be dynamic. With cycles and ebbs and flows, that is how we operate best. And that is what life is about, honestly. So, if cutting out all stressors isn't the solution, what is? The best thing that we can do is improve our resiliency to stress and to be able to adapt to it. To have a stress response and then recover appropriately back to a relaxed state when the stressor is gone. And that is where our adaptogens come in. Now, adaptogens are not the only thing that can help us adapt to stress. But the data is pretty interesting, and they can definitely supplement a mindful practice and other wellness activities we do to improve resiliency as well. So these adaptogens, or adaptogenics, are specific herbs, mushrooms, and foods that we can consume to help us adapt to stressful stimuli over time. They work by decreasing inflammation, regulating cortisol spikes and dips, and ultimately they help you recover quickly after a stressful response has been initiated in your body. They all work on different areas of that HPA access, which again, I'm not going to get you guys bogged down on the details, but just know that they influence either the hypothalamus, the pituitary, or the adrenal glands, and they do a lot of different things, but the main response that they're helping regulate is that cortisol. And then ultimately, this decrease in inflammation and all of the other things that it does helps prevent and sometimes aid in actual treatment of metabolic disease, which is obesity and diabetes, cancers, cardiovascular disease, and they actually overall improve cognitive function and actually athletic performance too. So there are a ton of different adaptogens. And each one is known for being better at doing a specific thing. So some might be the best at decreasing anxiety, while others might be the best anti-inflammatory or the best at improving cognitive function. So you can talk to an herbalist or a traditional Chinese practitioner or someone who practices Ayurveda, and they can give you all these specific details about what each adaptogenic does. But I do need to give you the actual data. And I have to say, the data is pretty good for a lot of them. Some of them don't have the data to back up some of their claims like anti-cancer properties. But let's get into it. So to break it down into three different groups, we have herbs, mushrooms, and foods. The herbs that are considered adaptogens include Panax ginseng, rhodiola, ashwagandha, licorice root, and milk thistle. There's a ton more which you can look up, but those are the most common ones that I've found. Then the mushrooms, and these are not psychedelic mushrooms, they're medicinal or gourmet mushrooms, are maitake mushrooms, reishi, cordyceps, and lion's mane. 
Then we have other foods that have adaptogenic properties as well, like ginger, garlic, green tea. And I guess green tea could be considered an herb or a leaf, but you get my point. So the first one that I want to talk more about is ashwagandha. So this is a root that can be taken as a tincture extract or ground into a powder form. This is heavily used in Ayurvedic medicine, and it is called Medha Rasayana, which means mind rejuvenator. The Karmic Sutra also refers to it as an aphrodisiac. So this one is thought to pretty much hit all of the marks for what an adaptogen can do, including reducing stress and anxiety, improving athletic performance, improving sexual function, reducing blood sugar, improving sleep, and a whole lot more. But what does our data actually show? Well, so far, the data is actually pretty good for this one. Studies have shown statistically significant decrease in subjective stress and objective decreases in plasma cortisol levels. There have also been studies showing benefits for weight loss and thyroid function as well. Next, holy basil, which is also known as tulsi. So this is different than the basil we use to cook with here in the West, which does have a lot of health benefits as well, but we'll get into that at a later episode. Today, holy basil, or tulsi, is actually known as liquid yoga for all of its benefits. It is full of phenylpropanoids, terpenes, vitamins, saponins, and tannins that give it its adaptogenic properties. So studies have shown improvements in cognitive function and reduction in anxiety. A lot of older practices claim that this herb can protect against cancer, but the data is just not there yet for that one. The last herb I want to talk a little bit more about is rhodiola. So this one is full of organic acids, like caffeic acid and gallic acid, and a bunch of flavonoids as well. Rhodiola has been proven to help with weight loss, improve athletic performance and physical endurance, improve depression and anxiety, and studies have also been looking into combating chronic burnout, which, as a medical resident, I am all here for. The mushrooms are also great, and as you guys probably know, I do have a personal love and interest in them. But I'm going to dedicate a whole episode later on them, so I'm not going to talk about them in detail now. Just know that the medicinal and gourmet mushrooms like reishi, maitake, cordyceps, and lion's mane have a lot of adaptogenic and cognitive-enhancing properties. Some of the other herbs like ginseng and milk thistle don't have as much data, so I'm not going to comment on them at this time, but you guys can do your own research if you're interested in learning more. I do, however, want to talk about dosing and forms and safety. So the biggest problem with dietary supplements and why the industry as a whole can be a little bit scammy is the dose and the form in which you take these herbs and supplements matters. The studies that have been done don't show a whole lot of benefit with microdoses of these substances. They only start to have effects at larger doses, and they're, they're pretty large doses, like I'm talking a couple grams of a root powder or essentially six dropletfuls of a tincture. Additionally, supplements that are made from roots or mushrooms in general, are harder for our bodies to digest. So we are much more likely to reap the benefits from a tincture form. And this is because the alcohol or the glycerin that is used to create the tincture 
breaks down the molecules that we can't digest and extracts the active ingredients that give it its benefits. So if we take some of these in powder form, we just aren't getting the full benefit, or in some cases, any benefit at all. Other leaves or herbs are typically fine in powder form. So my point is, just think twice before buying a supplement that contains a bunch of different herbs and mushrooms, because they can probably only fit a small amount of each of them in order to pack them all into one pill. And in some cases, the powder form of these roots and mushrooms might not actually be doing anything for you. So this is where integrative medicine doctors come in. First of all, they take a look at your specific medical problems. They see what supplements you might benefit from, and they tell you the doses that would actually be needed to treat those disorders. In addition, some of these herbs do actually interact with medications and are contraindicated if you have specific medical conditions. So it's really important to talk to a doctor, specifically an integrative medicine doctor who's had training in traditional Western medicine in addition to these herbs, so they can educate you about all these different considerations that all of those health blogs don't mention. Had to do my due diligence, but moving on, let's talk about nootropics. So again, nootropics are any sort of compound that has a positive effect on the mind. And again, technically, caffeine, which we all know well, is a nootropic. Some other nootropics that are taking the supplement market by storm are GABA and L-theanine. So let's break those ones down. GABA is a naturally occurring amino acid that works as a neurotransmitter in the brain. As we've talked about in earlier episodes, it is the ratio of glutamate to GABA that causes the effect of all of these neuronal reactions that happen. And in general, GABA is the main inhibitory neurotransmitter, meaning in general, it produces a calming effect. Alcohol and benzodiazepines, which one example that we all know is Xanax, work on the GABA receptor, which makes sense. We know them as downers. What's interesting is that studies are showing that people who have anxiety might actually have a lack of GABA in their brain. This also starts to explain why benzos, again Xanax, actually paradoxically increases your anxiety over time. So as you take this Xanax to combat your anxiety, your brain starts to downregulate the production of GABA even more. So you're already lacking in GABA. You pop a Xanax to help with the anxiety, which over time causes even less GABA. So... <laughs> As you may have gathered in just these first few episodes, I am not a fan of benzos for any of my patients for this reason. So with that being said, we are now starting to look at actually ingesting and supplementing with GABA itself. So this means we aren't creating a psychoactive molecule like alcohol or Xanax. We are just replenishing a neurotransmitter that many people with anxiety are lacking. Now, the initial studies about orally supplemented GABA showed that it actually did not cross the blood-brain barrier in order to cause its effects. So, we then speculated that we would actually have to induce the brain to create more GABA by supplementing with smaller building blocks. However, recent studies are actually showing that GABA does indeed cross the blood-brain barrier, and clinical studies thereafter have proven the benefits of supplementing with GABA to decrease anxiety, improve sleep, and thus improve cognition. 
I bring up this contradiction because it's a prime example of the flaws of studying these quote-unquote alternative and technically non-pharmacologic treatments. We can't study them the same way we study new drugs that are coming out on the market. If you want to learn more about this, check out my very first episode. It'll help you understand a little bit more how these molecules are studied. But the bottom line for GABA is that GABA supplementation actually is proving to be pretty promising, and that is actually helping us understand the pathophysiology of anxiety, depression, and other mental health disorders as well. Last, let's chat about L-theanine. So this molecule is naturally found in green tea. And this is what actually gives green tea that simultaneous calming and stimulant effect without the jitteriness that some people experience with coffee. So L-theanine enhances and prolongs the effect of caffeine while also taking the edge off. It's a pretty interesting molecule that people are starting to supplement by itself too instead of just drinking it with green tea. So there you have it, a little overview on adaptogenics and nootropics. If you are interested in learning more, I do have a few guests lined up that are actually doing research on these. So stay tuned to hear from some experts in this field. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and share so we can get the conversation started about integrative and psychedelic medicine. Let's destigmatize it and have open-minded conversations so we can fully explore what this could mean in the world. 